This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday afternoon. Maddie Glab sitting alongside Steve Tasker for the next two hours. We are One Bills Live, and we're going to be giving you guys all the latest Bills news and notes. We've got some fun guests on today's show. Field Yates will join us at 1.30, and Greg Cosell will join us at 2 o'clock, also answering some mailbag questions. So tweet at us or give us a call, 803-0550. You can ask us anything and everything. We are going to be off for the next two days, so this is our last show of the week as we're going to enjoy the bye week. Get yeah. a couple days off, get the weekend off, recharge, reset, come back for week eight, ready to beat the Packers. And since this is, uh, well, you came in for your Matty Awards on Monday, uh, let me ask you this. We had this question on yesterday, seeing as how we're taking questions today. What have we learned, Matt Girl, about the Bills in first six weeks. We had this question yesterday, got some good answers from some of our listeners. What do you think? I was thinking about this yesterday randomly, you know, random thoughts pop in your head, and mm-hmm. I was just thinking about the season so far. And I think the dis- the difference for me this year for this team, and it's not the fact that they're winning in close games. I know that was a big storyline um, leading into, what was it, week five when uh, or week four when the Bills – Beat the Ravens in a nail-biter there, and then were able to beat the Chiefs as well by four points. I think what I've learned about this team is the fact that when things are not working, they are they are able to course correct and to shift to something that will work. And I talked about this in our post-game show. I love their ability to go to the sideline, whether it's on offense or defense, and make adjustments and come back out to the field and, and have those adjustments work or make adjustments at halftime. I think a lot of people... I don't know if they don't realize, but adjustments are being made throughout the game. It's not just at halftime where you go into the locker room and you, you know, figure out, okay, this is not working for us. Let's do this instead. They constantly do that throughout the game. And I think you can do that when you have an older, mature team who really understands the offense, the defense that they're playing in. So I think what I have learned most is their ability to find something that's going to work when something else will not work. And you can point to Josh Allen and and the way that He's been able to find ways to win games for this team. He's been involved in every single touchdown, but a rushing touchdown by James Cook this season. Um, he has gone to his legs when when he's felt pressure. Uh, he has been able to pick up first downs in different ways, find different receivers to get involved. Uh, I loved what we saw out of Devin Singletary against the Kansas City Chiefs. I think getting that run game going, um, especially toward the end of the season, is going to be really important for this team. Um, Josh has loved going to Stefan Diggs so far this season. I don't think uh, that changes at all, but he's been able to do it in different ways this year, and I think that's really shown his maturity as an NFL quarterback and being one of the best in the NFL now. Yeah, I, I would agree with all of that. It's been fun to see Leslie Frazier elevate even further. I mean, he was – we've thought here in Buffalo, I think most people have thought – appreciated his ability to coordinate the defense really well. This year, I think they've got a newfound appreciation for it. Um, their – his use of Matt Milano, Tremaine Edmonds, the upgrade that across the interior of the defensive line with Jordan Phillips and Tim Settle and Daquan Jones, and, of course, Ed Oliver. 
when all those guys are healthy, this defense really changes a lot, I think, not only for the guys up front in the pass rush with Vaughn and Greg Rousseau and the bunch, but also for Milano and Edmonds. Those two guys have elevated to a great degree this year because I think of the quality of play in front of them. Matt Milano is under the radar one of the best players in the league, uh, certainly one of the best defensive players in the league. He made the, the timeliness of his plays – and the fact that he, you know, he, he's absolutely an incredibly sure tackler. And you ever say, well, yeah, he's a defensive player. He, you know, you see guys breaking <laughs> he had tackles He some really all the good time. open field tackles. He's made one on Lamar Jackson, then the other one on Pacheco against the Chiefs. Yeah. Uh, he made those two tackles stand out mm-hmm. because they were out there by themselves. And you think the athletes in the NFL, they're hard to bring down, let alone when you got a lot of space where they can run anywhere they want. Uh, he has a great knack, Milano does, of making, and for, for instance, either – Lamar Jackson in the Baltimore game or Pacheco in the Chiefs game, he takes away one of their choice. They can't go right or left. You know, they, gotta, they can go right or left. He takes one of those away and then gets them before they can go the other way. Um, he did a textbook tackle on Pacheco in the yeah. Chiefs game that was huge, a f- tackle for a loss. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you, you talk about how Leslie Frazier is using those guys and using Milano as a spy on, on Pat Mahomes and, and the fact that his instincts and his abilities really fit that scheme. Um, the way he has handled the defense with Vaughn Miller and the way they've changed the way they rush the passer and used his abilities and his, I don't know, I guess his cachet, I guess. I mean, Vaughn's going to get doubled. And to know that and to use it, is something I think Leslie Frazier deserves a lot of credit for. Those guys are playing really well on that side of the ball. They're one of two teams in the NFL that has held all of its opponents to under 24 points every game this season. The other one is the New York football giants. So the Bills are really playing well defensively, and and Leslie Frazier really deserves a lot of of credit for making it happen. I think one thing that's important to note um, with the defensive line and the rotation there is their ability to keep Von Miller at a low snap count. Now you'd think, yes, we want Von Miller in every single play. Um, He did play a lot more in the Chiefs game, though. I'm looking up the snap count for these defensive linemen, and he played 78% of the snaps, which I think in most games he's been around 35%. I think you would see him up at 78% or more uh, if in other games other than the Chiefs if the defensive line wasn't playing to the caliber that it is and if they didn't have the talent that they did on the defensive line to allow a player, a veteran guy like Von Miller, to be able to rest and when he is coming in for the snaps that he's coming in for, whether it's third down, whether it's to start off um, a possession that he is really giving it all that he got, all that he has. Um, Because for this defensive line that Leslie Frazier is running, they're rotating guys so that they can wear out the opposing offensive line by the end of the game, Um, rotating through eight guys. Mm -hmm. And and what he's been able to get, even when Jordan Phillips and Ed Oliver 
have been down has been really impressive uh, to see the talent level that uh, Daquan Jones has been really important for that defensive line. Tim Settle has added. It's been great to see the growth of Greg Rousseau. And I did uh, a deep dive kind of into Leslie Frazier's defensive mind and how he goes about things. And you talk to players in the locker room and on this team, defensive players, and they just have the utmost amount of respect and trust in a guy like Leslie Frazier. And, and they know he's one of the OGs when it comes to football. He played for the 1985 Bears. He played on what is the best defense in the NFL um, for any team. So those guys have a lot of respect for him, but I think they also have a lot of respect for the way that he goes about his business, um, the way that he portrays a message to his team every single year um, and what their identity is and what they're going to be about and what they're going to chase after. Um, and then he he also does a really good job week to week explaining why they're going to do what they're going to do. Uh, this yeah. defense changes a lot in, yeah. week to week. And I think depending on what type of player you are, depending on what type of group you have, I think it's it's probably hard to go in every single week and hear somebody say, we're going to change our identity again. We're going to change our identity again. And then you're questioning your coach, like, why are we changing what we're doing? for somebody else, but he does a really good job of selling, no, this is what we need to do to beat Patrick Mahomes. This is why we're going to play in dime these snaps. This is why we're going to blitz on this certain play. This is why we're going to hold back and not blitz um, for most of the game. And the guys buy in, and they buy in over and over and over again. And I think what you see is the stats that they're putting up when they're on the field, being, being one of the best defenses in the NFL, and they have been since 2017. They rank super high in a lot of categories. Uh, I think they lead the NFL for takeaways since 2017. They lead the NFL for least amount of passing touchdowns since 2017. I think the team closest to them um, is the Minnesota Vikings, and they have like They've allowed maybe like 15 more passing touchdowns uh, since 2017 than the Buffalo Bills. So I'm super impressed with what Leslie has done since he's come to Buffalo. I can't believe he hasn't gotten more head coaching looks. Um, we'll see what happens after this year with yeah. the rate and the pace that this team is playing at. He's he's done an incredible job scheming for and against really good quarterbacks in Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes, it is really hard to come up with a defense with a game plan and then go and beat those quarterbacks because you know whatever you throw out there, they're going to beat you a couple times. They're going to make it hard. They're going to make it a game. And I think what defines a really good defense is their ability to push through that and, and beat Lamar Jackson and beat Patrick Mahomes. Um, so when you look at this team over the last couple of years – 2019, 2020, 2021, 2022, the defense and the offense, they're really complementing each other in a lot of ways. And I think that's what you need, of course, to get deep into the NFL playoffs and, and still feel fresh in late January and still feel like you have something to give and, and hopefully that you're healthy as well. But the way that the offense and defense has been playing together, um, how they can both pick each other up when one side of the ball isn't yeah. isn't playing as well has also been really impressive through it, six weeks. No question, they've they've both played on played well on both sides of the ball. We've been talking about the defense and Leslie Frazier and, and some of the reasons their defense has played well. I guess we should mention they do have the NFL Offensive Player of the Week again 
this week. This Josh is true. Allen. This is Josh true. Allen's the uh, offensive player of the week in the NFL uh, after his performance. Uh, yeah, right about now. Yeah, it's Josh's world. And we're all living in it, man. He's playing so well. The team is playing so well. Um, the the performance he put on against the Chiefs. I, it's hard to certainly he's played better statistical games, but you look back at the game and some of the things he did. Just a couple of crucial plays. For instance, it was the third and. 13 play out of their own end zone mm-hmm. in the second half where he gunned it out on the start to the 75 yard drive where I believe it was a 70 yeah it was the it was the touchdown to uh, to Gabe Davis to was it Gabe or was it uh step anyway I think it was Gabe that drive ended all right in. anyway yes it was right before halftime and it was third and 13 and he throws an 18 yard strike uh out of the end zone after dodging a a rusher eight yards deep in his end zone. And, and you're looking at a, a quarterback ball. wondering, whoever it was, like this is a really hard position to be in at yeah. this point in the drive, this down in distance. They're on their one. And I, I felt like there was – he was going to do it. There was a 100% <laughs> chance of him doing it because we saw him do it the week or two weeks before that, get out yeah. of a, terrible week, position. 98-yard touchdown yeah. pass against Steelers the week before. He, they are not afraid. And I, and I would put this on Ken Dorsey a lot of it. Certainly, he trusts Josh, no question about it. And, and you've got to, and why wouldn't you? But the simple fact of the matter is this. A quarterback – who is an offensive coordinator, knows that a defense is its most vulnerable when they have the most field to defend. You can't get any more field than that, 99 yeah. yards, right? They were on our one-yard line, they got a, and they come out throwing it. That's supreme confidence in the guy you have pulling the trigger and the guys around him. That's a huge – and for a lot of people, that's a huge risk. And we've been here in Buffalo, and you, you've seen it. This team, you know what? Hand it off, get a few yards, let's punt it out of, there, out of here and get out of our own end. This team's dropping back to throw it. It's a problem for defenses because that's, you know, the last thing they want to do is have somebody miss a tackle and, you know, everybody chasing them down the field into the end zone. But that's a real possibility with this crew. They have shown in two consecutive weeks their willingness to have their quarterback drop back six or seven or eight yards deep in their end zone and gun it. And they've been successful both weeks. That's huge, and I, I put that on Ken Dorsey. He's the one that calls those plays, and that takes an offensive coordinator, I think, who has played the position to say, you know what, let's go. You can do it. We'll, we'll be all right. Uh, I don't know that Brian Dayball would have made those calls. Now, we I've seen Josh throw out of his own end zone, but mm-hmm. man, oh, man, two weeks in a row on your <laughs> two-yard line. I think the experience that Ken Dorsey brings to the table as a quarterback – Yeah at a power five and in the, and in the NFL as well to know what they've got working for them mm-hmm. rather than thinking about what the consequences could be and using all those, that leverage to give his guys a chance to be successful coming out of there. And, and of course, Josh threw that ball as hard as he could throw it um, out to the 19 yard line. It was, it was a spectacular play, spectacular play. And it got them off and, and running and they went with pace afterwards. They went no huddle afterwards because it was inside the two minutes. So, all of that stuff being said, the, both coordinators right now are humming along. Mm-hmm. I think Ken Dorsey has found his, you know, found a comfort level, and has shown both courage and good sense in his play calling. 
and of course the guy, the, you know, Josh and the and the players are really executing at a high level, and the same we've been talking about with with. Uh, Leslie Frazier. So it's the ninth time that Josh has been named offensive AFC Offensive Player of the Week. Um, the second time this season, his nine Player of the Week awards are tied with Patrick Mahomes for the most among all players since 2018. Another thing that I think is important to note here is as Josh Allen is growing as a quarterback and in, in his fifth season as an NFL quarterback, it's also been interesting to me to listen to and to hear the evolution of how coaches and players talk about Josh since he's <laughs> since he's yeah. came into the NFL. You mean our own players or around the league? Our own, our own. And I'll point to Sean McDermott. Not that Sean has ever had anything bad to say about Josh Allen. Right. But I think when you have a quarterback who's a rookie or who's younger who still has some question marks about the future of his career or what he's going to be, you kind of hold back on what you want to say about that player because right. you don't want to let it fly from, from the jump, even if they truly believed in him. Um, I asked Sean when he spoke to the media on Monday just what it's been like to, to see his growth this season and see him be able to turn it on when the team needs it most and be the catalyst for both sides of the ball. And his quote to me I thought was different than we've really heard him speak about Josh because, yes, Sean does give kudos to players, but I feel like sometimes he – is not going to go all the way or is going to reserve some of that. Or he, he likes pointing out the team as a whole and isn't really that much an individual right. guy and, and has never really been that way because it is a team sport and you don't want to show not necessarily favoritism is the right, is not the right word here, right. but you know, he's just been more of like, a, our offense is really good. Our, our offensive coordinator is really good. It's not just one person. It's been the entire team, but Sean said, Josh Allen is the face of the franchise. He's the face of the organization. He's grown leaps and bounds through his career to this point. It's been fun to watch, having a front row seat to watch his development and growth. He seems so comfortable in his own skin, off the field and on the field. His leadership and his influence on our team and on our organization is just really fun to watch. As big as some people made the game yesterday, the game against the Chiefs, for him to be who he is and very comfortable in that game says a lot about who he is and where he is on his way as a football player. Not only the face of our franchise, but the face of the NFL. I've never heard Sean say that about Josh Allen before. Call him the face of the NFL. That is a really big compliment, really big kudos. It's he is it's cool to watch these coaches and these players, and the players have really bought into Josh for a long time. And of course, Sean McDermott has brought, bought into Josh since Josh walked in right. um, because they drafted him where they drafted him at for a reason. Um, but to be able to to see these coaches from year to year kind of ride for their guy even more, really, really put confidence in them and really believe in what they're doing, calling Josh Allen the face of the NFL. I haven't heard that from Coach McDermott before, and I just thought that was really cool. Yeah, I I would agree with it. I at this point, you know this, and it could, and it it will evolve from here. I mean, you see other guys who have great games or a great stretch of weeks. Josh has been the offensive player of the week for two two games, two weeks straight. Uh, now he's sitting on a bye week, so there'll be other guys who will emerge and be what do you call it, the flavor of the week? You mm -hmm. know, um, Josh is going to be in the conversation every week. He's 
He's where we have seen Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady week in, week out throughout their careers, and Ben Roethlisberger when he played, and Peyton Manning when he played. And you can go down the list all the way back to Jim Kelly, to John Elway, to Joe Montana, Steve Young, uh, Warren Moon, to all these guys who have been a part of the league and, and played at a high level at that position for an extended amount of time. Josh has done that. For the last three years, he has been mm-hmm. in, an elite quarterback in the NFL, 2021 20, and 22. And it's going to continue because um, that's who he is now. I mean, there's just no getting around it. He's the guy now. And so now it's not just Bill's Mafia who see it and believe it and trumpet it. The whole NFL now you knows got, it. Yeah, now you got just people around the NFL. Um, you know, the commercials aside, you know, <laughs> the fact that he's becoming... You have arrived when you have national commercials. The word is ubiquitous. You know, everywhere, if you're, in, if you're looking at NFL rhetoric or reading articles or doing it, he's in, he's, in the, he's in it. He's mentioned. Yeah, when you turn on the TV and you're watching commercials, um, whether it's commercials teasing NFL games or the NFL as a whole, you see Bills a part of those highlights now. That's right. A few years ago, the Bills were not a part of any yeah, of those highlights. It, it took a you know it took a league wide poll to the get, only highlight to get the that you might have seen was um, Derrick Henry stiff arming. Um, right, <laughs> Jordan. Yeah. The, yes, that's right. Josh Gordon. Yeah. Not Josh Gordon. Josh um, Norman. Josh Norman from a couple of years ago. So yeah, I mean, but here, I'm with you, and McDermott is right. But having said that about Josh and how hard he's worked and how good he's gotten and how well he's playing and how bright his future is and his present, it's still about the team and how well Von Miller, the, the contribution Von Miller has brought to the table, the, the things that Devin Singletary and Steph Diggs is a dynamite wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Gabe Davis is a phenomenal player. Um, Dawson Knox has gotten better and better and better. The offensive line is better. The defensive line is better. It has been Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, and the entire football organization of the Buffalo Bills who have crescendoed to not only get to this point, but I've said it a hundred times. I I don't know what you think about it. I've said it a hundred times. Since 2020, this team has been good enough, talented enough, to go to and win the Super Bowl. A hundred percent. And they've learned some hard lessons about why they haven't done that. Mm-hmm. They're running out of things they have to learn. You know what I mean? Um, certainly any team on any given Sunday can play well enough to, to beat you. Mm-hmm. But the Bills play well enough even on their bad days to be good teams. Yeah. And so they're, they're humming along. Now, Injuries have been a part of the equation this year, which we, which it hasn't been in 20 or 21. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've handled it. They've handled it extremely well. Um, so it's just been a lot of fun to watch them to this point of the season. We're at the bye week, and we're kind of doing a self-evaluate, self-scouting. And there's, and we've talked – I mean, when you talk about the Bills running game, right, well, this, this last week – and now you're splitting hairs. What are you going to criticize about this team? Yeah. What really are you going to criticize? Um, they really played extremely well. And then when they didn't, they adjusted and got themselves back on track. So we got, tw- we got 11, 12 more weeks to watch this yeah, team play and to get in the playoffs. And uh, it's going to be a fun trip. Um, I think that's the, the thing you've learned. This is a team uh, – <laughs> my old college coach was a guy named Dennis Green. 
and he ended up being the Vikings head coach for a long time and also the Arizona Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals head coach. And he said it, this Bills team, they are who we thought they were. People thought they were going to be in the conversation for the, for the Super Bowl, and six weeks into the season, they are the conversation. And how much did we go when the schedule was, was released? We looked at the first six weeks of the season, really even into week eight with the Packers game. We, we went, oh, my gosh, the yeah. beginning of the season is a gauntlet for this team. If they can get out four, four and whatever, four if and they three. can get out – you know, five and whatever. If they can get out three and whatever, whatever. Yeah. The Bills are five and one out of this gauntlet. That yeah. is insane. And, and they're bitter, and I think Bills fans are bitter about the way the Dolphins game got away. They could be six and zero. Oh. They they're kind of bitter about the Dolphins game because of the heat and the humidity and the fact, that, and they were a little bit injured going into that game already. I think Bills fans are bitter that that game got away. They didn't. They, no, I don't think a lot of Bills fans feel like the Dolphins beat the Bills more so than the Bills because of the heat and humidity and the injuries couldn't get it on track enough to beat them. And they almost did anyway. Mm-hmm. And you know the way the season's gone since then kind of validates where Bills fans are about the Dolphins. We'll see. Two will be back in the lineup yeah. this week, but I. You know, so you're, they're sitting here at five and one, got a bye week to get healthier, and Aaron Rodgers and the Packers coming in. The, and by the way, I watched the Jets play the Packers. <laughs> what a question mark uh, type of game. Yeah, I don't know what to think because I, it's the only game I've watched of the Jets full, full, full on. And the Packers have been on a on a primetime game, I think, already. And I and I don't know, I can't remember where it was, but I think, feel like I've seen them play, right? I think it was the beginning of the year. I'll yeah, it was it early on. But the, <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, I think I saw them play. I think I saw them play. Uh, yeah, four twenty five, eight twenty. The Chicago they beat the Bears. Yeah, twenty seven ten. I'm. I don't know how good the Packers are. The Jets looked good. The Jets looked. Very good. The Jets are a problem, and I, and I don't think it's a, an, an aberration. We've been, you know, it's, this is not, you know, our father's version of the New York Jets. <laughs> they have strung together a, a bunch of really good decisions. They've had a couple good drafts. They hired Robert Sala. Robert Sala is was, a great And hire. I knew it then. I thought, God, that, that's a guy that I hope they don't, you know, I hope they mess it up and fire him, right? <laughs> then they had an excellent draft this last year. And now this season, those draft picks are playing really well, even for young players. And the whole team is playing really hard for Robert Sala. And they go in; they went into Lambeau Field That's not and an lumped up win. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. I don't know how good the Packers are. They're obviously not the thirteen and three team that we've seen the last they're two not, years, but not. they got lumped up by a New York Jet team. So. When you talk about, you know, the Bills and how this season's got to go and, and you know, it, we had this conversation yesterday, Maddie, that, yeah, the, the front half of the schedule, the front six games of the schedule, we thought they were going to be much more difficult to win. Now we're 5-1, and one, but now the back half like, of the schedule oh, doesn't look some games that... quite the cakewalk we thought it was. No, might. it doesn't. I think before we go to break, another thing that I wanted to point out about this team here through six weeks um, has – just also been their their calmness in all of it too 
This is a team that looks so calm in the heat of the moment. Um, it is because of their matureness. It is because some of the guys are, are getting older and growing. It is because you have a guy like Von Miller on your team who has played 12 years in the NFL. Um, your quarterback is not a young rookie anymore. I also have loved the way that they complement each other. It's such a complimentary team. The way that Stefan Diggs can help out Josh Allen. The way that Josh can feed a ball to Gabe Davis. The way that the offensive line can help Devin Singletary get involved in things. Uh, the way that Von Miller has even complimented the offense by getting off the field quickly and giving the ball right back to Josh Allen. Uh, the way that the safeties have played together without Micah Hyde and without Jordan Poyer when he hasn't been in the lineup. Uh, the way rookie cornerbacks have been able to play together in Christian Benford and Kyir Elam. Of course, the way that Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano are, are right. the perfect pair and, and have been solid for so many years. And the way that the defensive line has successfully rotated through guys through six weeks in the season. The first year that this defensive mm -hmm. line tried to rotate, it did not work for them. It did not work. And they went back to, we're not going to rotate. They tried again the second year. This is the second year in a row this rotation has really worked. Right. And Eric Washington, our defensive line coach, is you can thank him for that. Um, this defensive line really buys into to what he has to say. So I've also loved the way that this team complements each other when they're on the field and playing together. It's not easy to mm -hmm. find these pieces that fit like a puzzle together and just work. Yeah, I think it's it's really cool to see that, you know, as Bills fans, everybody's just going gaga over Like the Chiefs game, everybody was just all in a knot over how they were going to play. Could they beat them in Kansas City? And are we going to be, you know, chasing them now for the rest of the season? And then everybody was just – there was a, little, a lot of angst. Now it's amazing to see how calm and collected the team is in those moments. We're all out here jumping up and down. We're, like, pulling our hair out. <laughs> and those guys are just, you know, they're, it's third and 13 on their own mm -hmm. one-yard line, and they bang it out of there. Let's go. It's, it's pretty impressive, and it's a lot of fun. I think it's one of the, it is one of the cool things about this yep. season. All right, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to have Field Yates join us. We're going to talk about some fantasy football, uh, maybe answer some questions later on as well. So don't go anywhere. One Bills Live is presented by Clyde Health. This is Buffalo Bills Radio. Welcome back into One Bills Live. We are joined by one of our favorite guests of the show. It is Field Yates from ESPN. He's an ESPN NFL insider and fantasy football analyst. Ultimate fantasy lineup with Field Yates presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more. And Field, this is the perfect time to have you on because we have now hit Week six, and I think as we're all beginning to set our lineups, we're seeing, oh, we have three people on our team that have a bye this week, so now I need to go pick people up off of the bench, or so-and-so got hurt. You know, Hollywood Brown got hurt on my right. team, so now I'm like, do I trade? Do I pick somebody up? What do I do? Both my quarterbacks are on buys, so I love that you can help walk us through what we should do here as we go through a couple players. Yeah, Maddie, it sounds like you and I should potentially change jobs here. You have, probably have a better insight on this stuff than I do right now, but it's a weird week in week seven with four teams on a bye, obviously the Buffalo Bills, who have the two highest scoring players in all of fantasy football this year, Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. So you might win your matchup this week, 
but it would be like how the Chargers beat the Broncos on Monday night. A defensive struggle, no first downs in overtime, and yet the Chargers still emerge victorious with a field goal. So let's go through our lineup, and we'll start at quarterback, and I'm going to, I guess, throw a little bit of a curveball here with Justin Herbert, who, as we all know, did not find the end zone on Monday night. The most passing attempts without a passing touchdown in Monday night football history, but he plays against a Seahawks defense that has just been dreadful all season, really against both the run and the pass. While they do have some young playmakers that have stood out, Tariq Wollins, a fifth-round pick who has been extremely impressive at cornerback, it feels like this is going to be a higher-scoring game, and I think that I want as much of this game as I can get in my lineup, which is why we start with Justin Herbert at quarterback. All right, let's go to a running back next. Sell us on Damian Pierce and why he's a good fit for this week. Yeah, so if you look at the FanDuel pricing, Damian Pierce, who has been a top 10 fantasy running back, is not priced within the top 10 players. I don't have a perfect reason for it. My best guess is because he was on a buy last week, and sometimes these pricings get upended or potentially downgraded because of players coming off of a buy or an injury or even a Monday night football appearance. But I've got Damian Pierce at $7,700 in the lineup. And the Texans were on a buy last week, as I just mentioned, but from weeks two through five, Damian Pierce had 90.5% of the rushing yards from the Houston Texans. No player owned a larger share of his team's rushing yards during that four-week stretch, and I think it's going to continue. They play the Raiders on Sunday. The Texans are one of those teams that they just play sneaky, competitive football. They're not always winning. As a matter of fact, they've won just once this season, but one, three, and one, and a team that's a tougher out. And another running back to jam into the lineup this week is Kenneth Walker the third. Fellow rookie, second-round pick out of Michigan State by way of Wake Forest initially. He plays against the Chargers. I mentioned this game earlier, and the Chargers kiss can't stop the run. They're allowing the second most yards per carry so far this season. And last week, Kenneth Walker made his first start for Seattle. He had 21 of the 23 running back rushing attempts. So if they're handing the football off, it's almost assuredly going to Kenneth Walker, who found the end zone as well. He's an explosive player. I think that Seattle's draft class gives him some real reasons for hope going forward. And then you go, and it looks like, and I guess you're getting some early returns. Keenan Allen's going to be back in the lineup this week. Woo-hoo. And that, that you know, really helps a lot of fantasy owners turn the corner and get back on track, right? No question about it. And you're getting a bit of a discount here on Keenan Allen, who's priced at $7,300, probably more like an eight to $8,500 player if he's going at full strength and coming off of a typical Keenan Allen week. Let's go back to this Chargers and Seahawks game. Again, I want as much of this game as I can get. The Seahawks have been arguably the weakest secondary in the NFL on a per-play basis. And I'll give you the other two wide receivers while we're here. Brandon Ayuk, who has 13.5 fantasy points per game with Jimmy Garoppolo as a starting quarterback going back to last season. And I don't know where you guys are at on this one, whether you think that the 49ers find a way to keep things close against Kansas City. But if things are kind of blown open by the Chiefs because Chiefs are a very good offense and the 49ers are so decimated by injury right now on defense, they're going to have to throw it. So Brandon and I could benefit from a game that has maybe more points than you might realize And the last one here is Chris Godwin, who the big concern for Godwin coming into the season was that he had a torn ACL in December of last year. And would he be himself at the beginning of the season? Well, he made it for week one, got hurt right away, missed two games. Now he's back and he's back to playing a lot. He's basically an every down player 
for the Buccaneers, and they're a mess right now offensively. There are all kinds of questions about why are things so disappointing in that passing game. One thing that has been pretty good is the volume for Chris Godwin. Price of just $7,000. I think he has a nice game on Sunday against the Carolina Panthers. And as we move on to the tight end position, the New York Giants have been rolling. They've won the last three. Yeah. They're five and one. Brian Dayball has done a great job there. And, and we kind of like rooting for them a little bit until, you know, yeah. if we were to ever face them. Um, but it's been fun to see what they've been able to do. So why do you think a Giants tight end could be the answer here for this week? Well, this is a fun one. I don't know if you guys watched any of the uh, NBA that debuted last night, tipped off two games. But Charles Barkley and the Inside the NBA team does the segment. It's called Who He Play For, where they ask Charles Barkley a name of a player, and he has to guess who that player actually plays for. And <laughs> I'm not sure too many people would know Daniel Bellinger by name, but he's starting to show them by game. He's got some talent. As the rookie had a nice game this past weekend, found the end zone for the Giants, and I'm sure you guys are well aware, but the Giants have just been beaten up at the wide receiver spot this season. Kadarius Tony is still out. Kenny Galladay has been out. They were already thin coming into the year. Multiply that by Sterling Shepard being placed on IR. I mean, every time you turn, it's like the Giants are practic calling up a practice squad wide receiver. So Daniel Bellinger has had to kind of emerge. They were already thin at tight end as well. He's been a useful part of the offense, found the end zone last week, and they're going to need him again this Sunday against the Jaguars. One of the guys that surprised me was Amon Ross St. Brown. you got a Detroit wideout as a flex position against the Dallas Cowboy defense. That's surprising to me. I thought the Dallas defense was pretty strong in the secondary. Yeah. This one, though, Steve, I know you know that market well. We're talking about buying the dip here, right? Monroe St. Brown, one of the best wide receivers for fantasy in the first four or three weeks of the season. Then he got hurt. Uh, then he missed a game, came back, then had to buy. So it hasn't been six full weeks of a Monroe St. Brown. But when he was at full strength, he was absolutely crushing it. He was scoring points left and right. It felt like every time I turned, another opportunity for Amon Ross St. Brown. And priced at $7,500 this week, you got to figure that this is about as low as it will go price-wise. The Giants, excuse me, the Cowboys secondary does have some talented players, but if you're going to get them, I think you're going to get them from the slot, which is why Amon Ra fits into the lineup this week. And as we round out our lineup, we got to fill in with a defense. So why do you think the Cincinnati Bengals are a good pick here? Yeah, so generally speaking, I don't overthink it too much with defense, but Cincinnati draws the Atlanta Falcons, and the Falcons, I give them a ton of credit for being 3-3, three and three, but they're a feisty 3-3 three and three is how I would categorize them. They are 6-0 and oh against the spread, which means that they win the games they're supposed to win, and then they stay close in games that no one expects them to stay close in. And they do that because they just slow the game down. They're the anti-Buffalo Bills. They're calling a run play on 52% of their offensive snaps. That's the highest in the NFL, even more so than the Chicago Bears, who everybody is talking about how low their passing efficiency and volume is. The Falcons are even ahead of that pace, or I guess behind, if you're talking about it for fantasy purposes. So points are going to be hard to come by for Atlanta consistently. They scored last week on defensive touchdown. Uh, they played well, I'll give them credit, against San Francisco. But I think that Cincinnati can keep this game low scoring. And with the Falcons now, second their secondary now thinned out because of Casey Hayward being placed on IR, this could be one where Cincinnati breaks that uh, undefeated against the uh, spread streak for the frisky Atlanta Falcons. Right.
And I would agree with it. Yeah, I, that, it's all about the matchup for these defenses, and you kind of got to go big picture, which sometimes isn't the really smart thing to do in fantasy. I, what Give us – you said it earlier on, Josh and – and uh, Steph Diggs are the two highest scoring fantasy players so far. What what does that mean? Like, give me an assessment of like past players who have done that. Do does that really does it translate into overall success for the team? I mean, is that like yeah. taken? Has that carried teams into the playoffs? Well, here's some good news if you're a Bills fan. The highest scoring player in fantasy last year was Cooper Cup by a mile, and right now it's Josh Allen by a pretty significant margin. So Josh. Is at 172.9 fantasy points right now. Next up is, I mentioned Steph, who's at 150.9 points. So a nearly 22-point gap just six weeks into the season. You extrapolate that over a 17-game season, that would be nearly 50 points better for Josh Allen than any other player in the NFL. And I think what I would say about it, Steve, it aligns with what my eyes tell me is that the Bills don't have the best record in the NFL. The Eagles do right now, but I do believe the Bills are the best team in the NFL right now. Statement victory this past Sunday against Kansas City going on the road. That's always impressive. Also, the fact that they're doing this with so many injuries on defense still, right? It's not like this defense is anywhere close to full strength. And although they won't have someone like Micah Hyde back at all this season, there are some key pieces on that defense that aren't available. So I think it aligns with the idea that the Bills, at least in my estimation, are the team to beat in the NFL. They feel um, super, if you ask me. Yeah. All right, Phil, now that we're through six weeks of the NFL season, we've got our Sunday open, so we've got some games to watch. Um, what do you think are some question marks that still remain for some teams, and could we see any of those answered maybe in some of these games on Sunday? I'll give you some – there are four teams that have to answer some questions for me on Sunday. They all play in the NFC, and they're all supposed to be really good this year. Green Bay Packers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, San Francisco 49ers and the Los Angeles Rams. Of course, I brain farted halfway through that list. But those four teams are all teams that thought they were going to be Super Bowl contenders this year. They're all three and three. They all have had different issues. And you would not have thought that the Packers and Bucks and Rams would struggle this season because of offensive issues. Right. But that's what's happening right now. I mean, we uh, are not accustomed to Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford looking mortal, but they all look mortal right now. And, you know, I'm not saying that those guys can't get back on track. They're some of the best to ever do it. Uh, and you would never bet against them for a full season. But in the NFL, this is a league where it can get late early. Now, maybe because the NFC doesn't have that many dominant teams they can hang in. But if I'm the Green Bay Packers, who are heavy favorites to win their division, they better get it going right now because that NFC North could be taken over by the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, the Bills have the Green Bay Packers in week eight. And suddenly the Green yeah. Bay Packers don't look as scary as they look when the schedule first got released after the Jets beat the Packers. Now we're like, oh, well, we have to see the Jets twice this season still. So we'll see how that <laughs> yeah. goes. But, yeah, it's funny yeah. how things have kind of unfolded in the NFL this year with some of these superhero quarterbacks that aren't really playing like superheroes this year. But, Field, we want to thank you for your time. Thanks for helping us set our ultimate, ultimate fantasy lineup for this 
week. A lot of good games that are going to be able uh, to be watched by all of you who have a nice Sunday off. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, we've got Greg Cosell ahead at 2 o'clock, and we're going to dip into our fan mailbag. So stick with us here on One Bills Live. We're presented by Clyde Health on Buffalo Bills Radio. Aw, snap. Snapdragon apples are back. Fuel your game day adventures with Snapdragon apples. Now available at Wegmans. Snapdragon apples, the official apple of your Buffalo Bills. All right, it's time to get into our mailbag that we've got going on today. Our tweet sheet is presented by Corgan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. We're asking you to tweet in any questions you have for us as we kind of finish out our week here. We're off Thursday and Friday, going to enjoy. Enjoy our bye week, get mm-hmm. refreshed and reset and ready for week eight. So, number one from Joe. Question for you, Steve. What is your favorite tailgate food? What kind um, of cigars are in the humidor? Cigars in the humidor? I got a bunch of What a uh, great question. <laughs> that's a great question. All right. <laughs> uh, so, favorite tailgate food, I'm a huge cheeseburger guy. Mm. Um, I've always been a burger person. No um, matter what time the game is, we yeah, can eat yeah, cheeseburgers yeah. at 9 a.m. Uh, I'm also a big chili fan, too. Big pot of chili. Might be uh, chili. The humidor's got some Rocky Patels in it, and I've got a, uh, just got a box of Flathead 770s, which are obscenely big. I saved those for victories. So I got <laughs> – they're big – so they're huge cigars. That They're big boys. They're, so I got those. Um, did, but then you, I, did you smoke one after the – Smoked two, so yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah, so uh, that's what's in there now. That's my my latest delivery. I got a some some Rocky Patels, and then I got some some like vintage nineteen ninety two Rocky Patels, and then I also got some white shade grown um, as well, and then I got the big flathead seven seventies that are. I don't, I, I, could, I don't know anything that you you're could, saying right now. I, yeah, I, it's good. It's okay. Talking a different language. You could, you could put <laughs> when I'm when I'm gone. You could put my ashes in the in the 770. But it's, the box is huge. Oh so my it's, you gosh. know, cigar boxes. It's a little mm-hmm. bigger because they're such big cigars. So I could, yeah, I could a use cigar it as a treasure. aficionado. That's Steve right. Tasker That's what's himself. in the humidor right now. There right. you go. Thank you for asking, Joe. I don't have anything in my humidor because I don't have one. So <laughs> got a it. Christmas <laughs> idea there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. My <laughs> husband would like that way more than me. Uh, all right, number two, Jesse says, what are you and your family dressing up as for Halloween? And second, any thoughts on what happened to Isaiah McKenzie at the last game, specifically the fumble on the toss? All right, we'll go number one, Halloween. Are you, are you going to? I'm not dressed. I don't, I, nothing. When's the last time you dressed up for Halloween? That's what I want to know. Yeah, I can't remember. We, I don't even know that we've costume? been. I don't even know that we've been invited to an adult, uh, you know, just a, a well, Halloween you ever party. Trick or treat with the with the grandkids? No, I don't. Well, when I do, what? I take pictures. I'm not dressed up, you know. I mean, I dress like a grandpa. Me, so um, <laughs> no. But I did have my neighbor, uh, David Allen, come over yet the other day. He got his. He just got hit. You know, they ordered it. You know, mm-hmm. on Amazon, it came in. He goes, and he was so excited. He wanted to come over, so he come over and show me. His, his costume. His costume. It was awesome. I, they never had not cast costumes like that when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So I get a kick out of the, you know, the kids and their costumes because 
nowadays there's some pretty creative stuff out oh, there. Yeah. You just you know slip on and presto change. This one like was blown up, you know. You mm-hmm. guys kind of a blow oh, up yeah, thing yeah. around. So very cool. But no, I'm not dressing up for Halloween. Are you? I don't, I don't you? think I'll dress up for Halloween. It's the Packers game, so my family's going to be in town that weekend. <laughs> so I don't know if we dress up as a family or anything. Right. I do love trick or treating. I went the last year. I went trick or treating was my senior year in high school. I I tried to push that for as long as I could. Seriously? Oh yeah, um, because I am so <laughs> tiny. I dressed up as oh, a Power right. Ranger. I was a blue Power Ranger my senior year in high school. I put the mask on, and people probably thought I was an eleven year old child. It was great. This just in for those of you who don't know, Maddie is. I'm five is, feet tall, guys. She she says she's five feet tall. Oh, and I give her the benefit of the doubt. Hey, yes, I am. We can we can measure me. That can yeah. be you know an off season activity. Be an off, that'll be um, yes, the we, best thing that I ever dressed up as though was a rodeo clown. You know how <laughs> you sometimes have those rodeo clowns. That is awesome. At events. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I dress up as a rodeo clown. A Maybe one. we'll put it up on the screen later in the show or <laughs> at some point in the next couple of weeks as Halloween right. is right around the corner. But I looked ridiculous. <laughs> well, that's what a clown is, right? That's I mean, me. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, we'll give you a Maddie Award for your costume. Oh, my gosh. Go. Yeah, we can, we can rank our costumes. That, for and as for and, and the second part of Jesse's question, yeah, any thoughts on what happened to Isaiah McKenzie? Quick. Um, no question. He was off last week. It was not. It was not mm-hmm. the Isaiah McKenzie we've all grown to know and love. Uh, hopefully, that's in the rearview mirror. But it was not his best game. Had a couple of passes you would like to have seen him catch. Slipped and fell when he had was going to go behind him for the catch in the end zone. Missed it. Dropped it on a fourth down. So yeah, that's a game I think Isaiah would want to forget. But it doesn't give you any sense that it's a chronic problem. Yeah. Just, you know, bounce back and have a better better week of practice and, and get them the next time. Yeah, everybody has an off game. Um, but he did. I think it was an off game for him, yeah. no question. Yeah, I talked to him afterward for a little bit. He seemed in, in fine spirits and knows that he's got to be better for, than that. He's so. never down. No, <laughs> he... He which is, is never down, part which of his is charm, which is great. That's yeah. you got to have guys like that on the team. So I think he can bun- bounce back. I hope he can bounce back. He's definitely a better player than that. He's, he's showed us that multiple times throughout his career with the Buffalo Bills. All right, when we come back, we are going to have Greg Cosell on with us to kind of recap the first six weeks of the NFL season, especially with the Buffalo Bills, and look ahead to what's next. So don't go anywhere here. We're One Bills Live. We're presented by Clyde Health, and this is Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, welcome back into One Bills Live. We are in our final hour of the show. Maddie Glab alongside Steve Tasker. And joining us for our number two is NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. Greg Cosell's weekly segment is brought to you by Scott Lawnyard, an official commercial site work partner of the Buffalo Bills. And Greg, what an exciting game 
On Sunday that the Buffalo Bills had against the Chiefs, it was a big win for this team. It was a game that a lot of Bills fans had circled on their calendar, on their schedule when the schedule came out. Week 6 matchup against a really tough team to beat, against a team that before that matchup, the Buffalo Bills were 1-3 and three against in the last four matchups. So what did the Bills defense do to limit Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense last Sunday? You know, it was a fascinating game, Addy, because it started out with these long drives and no one scored. And you're starting to think, okay, this is a season where scoring's down. You know, everybody's thinking it's a 38-35 game. And you're starting to think, like, middle of the second quarter, what, are we going to have a 13-10 game? Right. You know, with these two teams, you know. Uh, but I, but both sides moved the ball. But I guess what really stood out to me was what the Bills did on third down. and And I think that that's – you know, that was sort of where I think the rubber met the road uh, a lot in this game. And that was the use of number one dime. They played nine snaps of dime. And number two was the way they played, the way they used Milano as a spy. So they rushed three. They used Milano as a spy and they played a lot of man coverage, um, you know, which I think going in, we probably would have said that, oh, they're not, you know, you don't. With with the players they have in the secondary, the rookies, Jackson, who's a young player, and then they also played Bedford quite a bit. You're thinking that, well, you know, man coverage does not really seem like the um, uh, the approach that you would take given who you're playing. So they spied and it was very effective and they played man coverage and it turned out to be effective as well. And I thought, do you how much was it used? Where and we saw it on the last interception to end the game, where yeah. they deliberately flushed Pat Mahomes one direction or the other, and Milano was there looping around to be right there when he got flushed out. Um, yeah, it was that I, we saw it on that one certainly, and the players validated it. They said that was kind of the plan. Did they do that a bunch? I I don't you know again I can't re- I, I watched the tape. Today's Wednesday. It was actually right. the first thing I watched Monday morning when I came in. So I I don't think so. I don't want to say because uh, Milano spied numerous times, probably nine or ten times throughout the course of the game on third downs. Um, uh, so I don't want to say for certain that they hadn't done it. But if they had, it was maybe only one other time. That time, was, it was clearly the call. As, the, as you said, the players validated because you could see that Miller went right inside. He was not working outside at all. He basically took a step outside and then countered inside immediately, knowing that if Mahomes moved outside, that Milano would be in a position to attack him. So that was clearly a call. Um, You know, and it's so interesting about Mahomes. We know he's a great, great player. That's not the point. But you could argue that, you know, he's kind of a trick shot artist. That's a a part of his game. You know, he moves around a lot. Sometimes he moves when he doesn't have to. He's made so many great throws doing that, that his track record suggests that that's truly special. And it is. But, you know, then on that final play, for whatever reason, he just not he just did not see Teron Johnson. I mean, because if he did, he wouldn't have thrown that. Uh, So it's something just didn't register there. But again, he moved um, whether he had to or not is open for discussion. But when he moved, he tried one of those trick shot throws sidearm off platform. And that time it didn't work. 
After last season, the Buffalo Bills knew that they needed to bolster their defensive line and, and add some type of talent. Yeah. So they went out and got Von Miller because you need him in games like this against really talented quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes. That has been what the Bills were missing, really, in the last few matchups against Patrick Mahomes. So uh, how big of a factor was Von Miller in this one, Greg? Well, I mean, he obviously had two sacks and he certainly had the big sack, uh, you know, with just over six minutes remaining that gave the Bills the, the ball back with an opportunity to win, which obviously they did. But it, but it gave them the ball back with enough time that you didn't feel like it was it was panic time, that, that it was urgent, that every play had this incredible importance to it. So that was a critical play. I mean, obviously, any time you have a player like Von Miller and Steve can attest to this, it changes how offenses go about pass protecting see that's the critical piece it's not just that he can make a play um and obviously on that sack he he beat um, the right tackle and i don't believe they gave him any help there but we've right. seen teams change their pass protection concepts because of, of a player like von miller and that's what you're ultimately hoping as well you want an offense to to chip or to keep someone as a someone in as a primary pass protector because then there's fewer receivers who go out as primary receivers and that helps your defense because it's a numbers game if you can't send out five eligibles then the defense i don't want to say they win before the snap but they gain an advantage before the snap of the ball so what, you know that's yeah. what someone like von miller does what does it say about you know we we talked about how the Bills rotate those eight guys through on the defensive yep. line. What's it tell you that in a game like this, Von Miller got 78 or 78 78% of the snaps? I would probably say, Steve, it means that the game was pretty important. Yeah, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, when I think, look, obviously, you know, Miller is, is not only a great sacker, but he's a great athlete. So, it, you know, so – you want a player like that on the field because Mahomes moves so much. And I think that's probably another reason why he played so many snaps, because we know that Patrick Mahomes is going to move. In some ways, Mahomes' movement has become a habit. There are times he just drops back and he moves. You know, if the primary is not immediately evident to him, he moves. And you need people that can run him down. I forget which play it was when they ran him down. Miller did not get that sack. But um, you remember the play I'm sure I'm talking about. I just can't remember exactly where it was in the game where – you know, you're a fan, you're probably thinking, oh, my God, Mahomes is running around. He's going to find someone for a 40-yard gain. And they ended up getting him to the ground. Because the key a lot of times with Mahomes is not just the pressure, but it's getting him to the ground. And you you need speed to do that. Right. Yeah, it's been nice to watch Von Miller be able to help with that and that speed element. If we switch the offensive side of things, uh, one thing that was impressive in the Chiefs game and in Buffalo Bills' ability to win that game was you you pointed to the third downs and the third downs on offense for the Bills. I know they yeah. didn't convert a, good, a great percentage. They were 4 of 11, if I can remember, which isn't great, but I remember an important one where it was third and 13 and they were backed up in their own end zone and Ken Dorsey oh. calls a shot. What have you thought about his ability to dial up those those shots, those, those big-time plays at the right moment and for Josh Allen and the offense to be able to hit on those types of plays that he's dialing up? Well, that, that, you know, as we were talking about before, that is just confidence in your quarterback because it was a close game. Um, 
It had the feel that it was going to remain so. And no one would have said, boy, terrible decision if they punted with just over a minute remaining from their own one yard line. No one would have said, oh, my God, that's a terrible call to do that. But they put the ball in Josh's hands and you could tell that he knew that he was not going to have a lot of time back there. And he was right on the back of the end zone and he moved. And again, it was a case where there wasn't really pressure on him. But hey, I'm not a quarterback, so I'm sure when you're back there, you feel like, hey, time's moving really fast. And he moved to his right and someone was there and he just stopped on a dime and he drilled it to Davis. I mean, the play call was a basic play call. It was what we call dagger. It was an inside vertical and an outside dig. So it's, it's that's what the dagger concept is. It was cover two. And, um, you know, Davis ran the dig and Allen threw a laser. I mean, an right. absolute laser. And you could make the argument that that was the biggest play in the game. Obviously, they ended up with a touchdown on that drive. Um, there were a couple other really important plays on that drive as well. But without that third and 13, Maddie, you, you, who knows what direction the game goes. That's right. It was an enormous, it gave him a chance to stay on the field. And right after that, in the last couple of them, they were going with pace. It was right before uh, yep. halftime and they went with pace and got the, got the touchdown, I believe to Gabe Davis, uh, yeah, as, yeah. They, as a half wound down. And, you know, it was, and then of course the chiefs got the 62 yarder <laughs> to answer, but uh, what? Right, but that, that touchdown too came against zero. That was cover zero. Yeah, and um, they had they, they really they, you know they and my sense was watching the tape that they anticipated pressure. I'm not going to say they anticipated mm. zero. Right. Although Steve Spagnolo is well known as a coach who does go zero. In fact, a year ago the Chiefs had more zero blitzes than any team in the league. They're right up there again this year because if you recall that play, Steve, they had Knox and Singletary both offset in the backfield. Right. So clearly by doing that, they anticipated that pressure of some kind was going to come. It the, turned out to be yeah. zero, and they got Davis matched on the rookie corner making his first start, Williams, and, and obviously Josh made a great throw. Now the Chiefs were bringing, it seemed to me, and maybe you, maybe with your film study you could enlighten us, I thought the Chiefs were getting some really good pressure on Josh Allen in they that were. first half, and I thought that play – against the zero blitz kind of said made the Chiefs later on say, well, wait, wait a minute now. Let's, let's pump the brakes on going zero and sending so much yeah. pressure because they're starting to get a handle on it. Now, certainly, too, the Diggs touchdown was the same thing, was it not? So did the success they had on those couple plays make a difference in Spagnola's, you know, desire to send pressure? Um, well, the Chiefs on that touchdown, they had a five-man pressure. Snead right. came off. The, the tight slot, he's the slot corner. Bolton added in as a sixth rusher, but he was late. Um, and it was a three-by-one set, and they basically had Williams play pure man on on uh, Diggs, which was really interesting because the boundary safety had his eyes to the trip side, the three-receiver side. So, again, from a coverage standpoint, they'd allow, they allowed the rookie corner, Williams, to play pure man against Diggs with no help over the top. Um, but I think you're right. I think the pressure started to be dialed down as opposed to dialed up because, quite frankly, the, um, you know, Allen, he wasn't overall the numbers against pressure, by the way, were not good. Josh was only five for 14 uh, against five or more rushers, um, right. but he did hit the two TDs 
And uh, I got the sense that they did kind of slow down the pressure as the game went on. When Josh was facing that pressure, the Buffalo Bills went to their rushing offense a little bit and and got Devin Singletary involved in things. He had 17 carries for 85 rushing yards, average five yards a carry, which is a good number. It's, It's the most rushing yards that Devin has had all season. So what do you make of the Bills going to the run and, and having some success in it when they've kind of struggled at times this season when they've tried to go to the run? Well, to me, Maddie, obviously you always want success and production. But to me, the bigger number is 17 because they actually came out running the ball. Um, you know, for them, I mean, they're not a run team in the pure sense, but they came out running the ball and they had early success, enough success that they could stay with it. You know, Singletary was getting six, seven, eight yards. And that's what you want. It's just, look, we know and we saw it again this past Sunday what Josh Allen is. But as we've discussed many times before, it's hard for your quarterback to be Superman on every play. You know, he's Superman on enough plays. And we just mentioned that one, you know, the third and 13, you know, near the end of the first half. But you do need some semblance of a run game and you do need some production. You know, the problem is because you have Josh, if you start running the ball and you get no production at all, I can easily understand Ken Dorsey's mindset. The mindset is, well, we're gaining one yard. We're not gaining any yards. Why not put the ball in the hands of my best player and maybe the best quarterback in the league? And, you know, I get that. But it's just hard to play that way all the time. And it's really hard on Josh. I'm sure he'll say it's not because of who he is, but it is hard. And Steve, you know that, you know how hard that is for a quarterback. Well, it's, it's a little bit like Russian roulette, you know, sooner or later, he's going to take a hit and he's got to come out of the game or it, or it looks like he's got a concussion and he, and they make him come out of the game, whether he's got a concussion or not. Um, But you're right. I thought it was very telling that they had 19 handoffs in this game. Yep. Yep. And that was, I agree. That was different. Yes, and and I think, look, every game's going to be different. You know, we know that. We're not going to sit here and say, well, that's going to be the template going forward. We know it won't be exactly the same, but, you know, they know. You know, it's funny when fans think that coaches don't know, but they know that they have to have some semblance of a run game. They understand that. You know, like I said, if, if it's not working at all you and, and you're not gaining yards and you're punting, you think, OK, well, let's put it in Josh's hands. He's pretty good. But, you know, at some point in big games and even though it was the regular season, Sunday was a big game against arguably the two best teams in the conference. Uh, you know, you're going to need to run the ball and you're going to need volume and production. And speaking of different players that the Bills' offense ha- has used, uh, another guy has been Reggie Gilliam as a fullback and a yeah. tight end. What have you thought of his usage when he is in the game? Sometimes he's been in as an extra blocker. Sometimes he's actually caught a couple passes and, and has had a touchdown yeah. as well. So what do you think of his usage with, with how Ken Dorsey has kind of deployed him in the offense? Well, it's funny you say that, Maddie, because they're starting to use him a little more. I mean, he's getting meaningful snaps. You know, last year when they started, he'd play four snaps a game. Then, you know, it would seemingly increase. And now there are times where he plays 20 snaps a game. And at times they throw the ball to him. I remember it was a couple of weeks ago, I think, where they ran a mesh concept and he was the sit route right behind the mesh concept and they threw him the ball. I mean, he's and they obviously scored the touchdown a few weeks ago on the first drive. I forget what game that was. Um, was you know what I'm talking game. about on the screen. Was the Tennessee, Tennessee game, on Monday the night football, yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. I knew it was a night game. I just couldn't remember. Uh, but, you know, so they do throw the ball to him. And, you know, th- see, the thing about playing him, and what's interesting is it, it, 
you'll find out about the, the defense when they play him. Will the defense, you know, treat him, let's say, as a fullback and play base? And then maybe you get some opportunities because when a defense is in their base, you know what their fronts are likely to be and you know what their coverages are likely to be because at a base defense, and Steve, you know this from when you played, teams tend to be a little more predictable from a tendency standpoint when they're in their base defense. Right, and that's what – and we saw Gilliam on the field – uh, early in some of these games, basically for that reason, right? You wanted to get an idea of what the yep. defense, you know, what Steve Spagnolo thought about the Bills' offense and how he was going to label players when they were on the field. Because there's always a question: is are they right. t- are they treating Gilliam like a tight end, or are they treating him like a back? Uh, and how right. are they matching up with him when he when he gets when he gets split and, out? And, and our team saying potentially, which some will that. Hey, if they want to hand the ball off, more power to them. We're going to play the pass, and we're going to put our nickel out there. And if they want to hand it to Singletary, let them hand it off because we're more concerned about Josh Allen throwing the ball. How much of last year? And I don't. Know if, I don't want to go back down this rabbit hole too much. We're dissecting this run game thing and what people think about that. But last year, the run game really came alive in the last month, month and a half of the se- the regular season for Buffalo. Devin Singletary yes. became a force, you know, and it became something the Bills fans really kind of latched onto this last offseason. How much of that was a response by Bills opponents, and I know you can't really say definitively, but yeah. your sense is were teams like saying, please, just hand it off to Singletary because Josh Allen and Diggs and the rest of these guys are so good. You know, we're more afraid of them doing it. So we're going to invite them to run it a little bit and see if we can slow down their offense just by making the clock run a little bit and may have fewer possessions in the game. Was there any of that that you sensed? Well, again, that's hard to know, but you made a great point that a byproduct of running the ball is you do shorten the game. And I guarantee that defenses, without question, would rather see the ball in Singletary's hands than Josh Allen's hands. And it's no knock on on Singletary, but I think we all know that. So that's why I said you might even see teams, even when Gilliam's in the game, even if they they count him as a fullback, Steve, you might see teams play nickel because figuring that, you know what, if they want to run the ball, let them run the ball. So we'll rally and we'll tackle. And if they get a good gain, if Singletary gets a seven-yard gain, great. That's a seven-yard gain. We'd rather not give it up, but we much prefer that than Josh dropping back and making something happen. So it'll be very interesting how teams defend the Bills going forward now that, you know, assuming that Sunday's game is a predictive indicator that they do want to run the ball more. We won't know that till they play more games. But I think this staff knows that the running game does have to be some kind of factor. Greg, now that we're through six weeks of play, we're kind of looking back on the season so far and what's ahead. If we look back, what do you think Josh Allen has done differently or what have you seen that's been different out of him as a quarterback this year? One thing I pointed out earlier in the show is he's been involved in every touchdown but the one rushing touchdown that James Cook scored. I would say that what started last year and is more apparent this year is patience. I think that Josh always has a big play mentality and has probably always had that since he started playing. But I think when you're a quarterback that is being asked to basically run the entire offense, again, now we get back to that run game discussion, but let's put that aside for the moment. You have to be able to complete four-yard balls, five-yard balls, because if you're going to throw and the pass game is essentially going to be your foundation, Maddie, then you have to be the sustainer, not just the big play guy. 
And if you're going to be the sustainer, then you have to complete four-yard balls and five-yard balls. And when he came into the league, we knew he couldn't do that. He'd throw rocket balls and he'd miss guys. And now um, he's able to do that much, much better. You see how many short throws that he makes, whether those are actual calls or whether he decides to just throw them based on the concept. My guess is they're calls. But He's showing so much more patience and command, command of everything that needs to be done in order to sustain offense. And I think that's where he's continued to grow. One of the things about this offense as well, like last year and the year before, they had Cole Beasley in the slot. Uh, This last week, they went with Isaiah McKenzie, who's back on the field after being out with a concussion. Did not have. My guy, Shakir. And and Khalil Shakir. Uh, Which one? uh, Let's. Now, McKenzie didn't have his best game, had a couple of drops, uh, didn't seem like he he didn't seem himself. We'll just put it that way, which says something about our expectations for his productivity out of the slot. But Shakir seems to be steady, steady, steady. And McKenzie seems to have, you know, he's speed. He's got some speed to offer. Which one of you, in your opinion or your insight, what's your hunch about what they do at the slot spot going forward? Well, nothing's 100%. Let me start with that. But I think McKenzie's at his best when you're playing teams that play man, you know, and you and you anticipate you're going to get a lot of man because we've seen him in the past run away from man coverage. And I think that's what he does exceptionally well. And I think you can use him on jet sweeps, things of that nature because of the speed. Um, I think Shakir might fit better. Um if you're playing against more zone, I thought Shakir had a good play and, and I, not that it was unbelievable, but on, um, on that final drive late in the first half, they blitzed off of Shakir's side. Allen obviously read it. He pointed it out before the snap, but, but Shakir had to understand it too. And he just stopped in the void. And I think that's a positive sign because, you know, people always just assume, hey, it's the quarterback reading the blitz. And Steve, you and I know there's a lot more involved to defeating blitz than just the quarterback. Um, but I think you might see McKenzie as a big factor when it's man and maybe Shakir settling in a little more when they anticipate a team playing more zone coverage. All right, right. Greg, thank you so much for the time. Thanks for kind of looking back on this big Chiefs win uh, with us as we kind of look back on the six games that the Buffalo Bills have played so far this season. We appreciate it. We hope you have a good weekend of the many games you will be watching and dissecting. (laughs) Yeah, I don't get a bye week, Maddie. We do. We're out of here, man. I wanted to say happy bye week, but... Keep working hard. I don't get a bye week. Keep working hard. All right, guys, thanks. All right. All right, that was Greg Cosell of ESPN and NFL Films. Uh, always love having him on to kind of go through the games. Appreciate it and feel like I learned so much about the game when we have somebody like him on. Um, all right, what's up next in the show? We're going to look back on the OBL fan mailbag that we have in our next segment. If you guys want to give us a call, 803-0550, any questions that you have for us. We spoke about Halloween costumes uh, yeah. in a couple segments right. uh, prior, and I do have a picture of myself as a rodeo clown so we might show that at some point (laughs) later in the show uh so yeah let's take a break last 30 seconds here you go we're gonna leave you with this as we go into our bye week it's a beautiful shot no not at all not at all but we're gonna take a break when we come back we'll dip into that fan mailbag answer some questions that you guys have for us uh we are one bills live we're presented by clyde health this is buffalo bills radio
we're back here on One Bills Live. Hope you guys are having a good Wednesday afternoon. We've got uh, less than a half an hour here left in our show. Less than a half an hour until we both bolt out of here to the parking lot and <laughs> say happy weekend. Happy bye week. Happy bye week. Yeah. Um, we've both got some plans to get out of town and, and soak up a couple of days off. So I think both of us are excited about that. Brownie mm-hmm. has kickstarted his weekend off. Um, Good for him. Definitely earned by so many people in this building. Uh, we were just sitting at yeah. our desks earlier and Chad Hall, our wide receivers coach, uh, came shooting through our, our work area, right. which we have – where we work, there are so many people that just walk through coaches, players. I make it a point. Everybody to walk in the building, you walk through there every day. You have your putters in there, so you always I have just, to fire yeah. a putter two off. You make a lot of them. They have a they have a putting gr- place, a little, one of the little automatic putter things. It does. It's not automatic, but it's a you know a cup, and so I go through there, and they had these these embarrassingly amateurish putters so i went down in my golf room at my house got a couple extra and pulled out a couple of my ex putters and brought them in so you could raise the quality of the putting so yeah i go in there and hit a couple every day now it's fun to have people come through and and hit some putts but anyways chad hall came through and he looks at us he's like you guys don't have the week off because at (laughs) this point in the week the players are gone I think some coaches are still around. I don't know if the coaches still have to be here, but most of the players have left. Um, some guys are still hanging out in Buffalo, rehabbing, or just choosing to be in Buffalo. So he looks at us and he's like, basically, what are you doing here still? Right. It is Wednesday. Why are you not off yet? Do you get the week off? And right. we're like, don't worry, Chad. We're off Thursday, Friday. I always get – it used to be, not so much anymore, but it used to be very common, and it still is in some places, for people to say, hey, is it a really – you know, what about this? Is it a good time for the Bills to be on a bye week? Um, the, the standard answer these days is it is always a good <laughs> it week always comes for a at the right time. It is always at the right time because and, and I think for if you can want to do it this way, they had three preseason games, training camp, three preseason games, six regular season games. That's nine mm-hmm. going into the rest last half of the season. They have 11 games left with a bye week right now. It's almost right at halfway point of all of those games plus good training point, camp. Good point. Um, so it's a nice spot for it. Other than that, it doesn't matter anyway. They could have had it on opening day, had a bye week, and it would have been a good time. For them. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We whenever kind of you, did have yeah, a bye week, right? Whenever after you the first get game. a time, yes, that's right, because of the long week. But anytime you get a, a week off, a weekend off, where the guys can get away and recharge and just think about something else for you know three days, mm-hmm. it's huge. It feels like you were gone for two weeks. Uh, I remember it vividly because I was part of the league before the bye week was a thing. Then they put it in, and we didn't. Nobody knew what to think. You know, we we're like, okay, what now, do we right, do you, with our we time? Got. So back then, you know, coaches were always tinkering with how long to keep. It felt like an eternity. Just a couple, three really? days. It was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. What then? You know, by the end of the third day, you're thinking. Okay, let's get back. Are you kind of antsy? Yeah, yeah. you're kind of like, wow, I the, the season. We got to particularly when you see other teams playing, mm-hmm. and you're not playing. So you get a little antsy to get back in and start working out and practicing again. But, yeah, it's always a good time for the bye week. We've been answering some questions from our OBL fan mailbag tweet sheet. You can tweet at us if you have any questions for us. And uh, 
We answered a question from Jesse about Halloween, and it kind of started a, a conversation about mm -hmm. different costumes that we've worn, what our favorite costume was, the fact that I trick-or-treated way too late into my uh, years because I would go in high school and just act like I was 11 year old, 11 years old with a mask on because I could because I'm tiny. But uh, I talked about costume that I wore that was my favorite and funniest Halloween costume. I was a rodeo clown. I think it was when I was in elementary school. So uh, we have a picture now for our MSG viewers. Priceless. Maddie Glab as a rodeo clown. Uh, my mom came up with some great ideas, helped me put together some great costumes. So shout out to her. I do not remember <laughs> where the idea came from. <laughs> And if you're listening on the radio, so I have like a, a hat on, a cowboy hat, and then I have a clown wig, and then I have my face painted with, I think I have stitches on my forehead, I have red and yellow on my eyebrows and, and right above my eye, I have a mustache drawn on. A pathetically a drawn very by, pathetic it's so bad, mustache the mustache drawn is drawn on. I have a... The cowboy hat is strapped on under her chin too mm -hmm. with, a, with a string. I have some rainbow suspenders. Yeah, that's a perfect. A checkered button down t-shirt that's like pink and blue and has stripes and then I have... Um, a, a very tie. crazy tie on that's black yeah. that has some some pictures. Total and rodeo on clown getup, very well done, right? yeah. to the to a T. And so, uh, LOL. I always show I, people this when we're talking about Halloween costumes it, because it, I don't care how crazy obvious, I look. I thought yeah. it was hilarious. It, it was. It obviously it's obvious too that you were very young when that was taken. But um, fun stuff. I I was just sitting here. Now I'm an old guy now, obviously, but. I can't remember a single costume. Come on, Tasker. We went to a players a, a players costume party uh -huh. when I was playing. The players had won a costume party. So mm -hmm. I went as Frankenstein. My wife went as the bride of Frankenstein. Um, do we and have she, some pictures? We, probably somewhere, yeah. We she and to we dig took her to up. I actually took her over to the to the hair place. To get, and to they get did, done they up? stood her you know, they stood her hair up oh my gosh. and put the streaks on, on the oh. sides and everything. Oh man, it was spectacular. Of course she had a five foot nine inch Frankenstein, so it really kind of didn't lend itself to that, but because all you know, I was the short Frankenstein. <laughs> let's put it that way. But she looked great, so that was the only one I remember, and that was as an adult. So yeah, I know our players have their Halloween party too, which is always fun to see on social media oh, yeah. what people dressed up as and yeah. who won any awards. But we'll keep going with our tweet sheet uh, number three from mandatory name. What are the roles of Speedy? Marquez Stevenson and Isaiah Hodgins now with the emergence of Khalil Shakir. So Speedy is still not playing with the team he's right on now. IR. He's, he's on IR. And the last time we really got an update about Speedy was around the time, I would say maybe a week before Trey got activated or maybe it was the week that Tredavious White um, got activated to return um, from being on the reserve PUP list. Mm-hmm. And I think what Sean said was, like, Speedy is nowhere close right now. Um, we've seen him in the indoor. He's been working out and doing things. Seems like he's in good spirits. Um, but we do not have any timetable on his return because the last update we got was that it, it wasn't going to be yeah, coming Speedy, in the next yeah, week Speedy's or days. is dictated by his health. And, and Isaiah Hodgins is now, I think he's a, he's a depth piece right now. Particularly with the emergence of Shakir and his and Shakir's ability to play more than one spot. Mm -hmm. So with Isaiah, 
And then and Haji's it'll be interesting to see what, in three snaps against right. the Chiefs. It'll be interesting to see what happens when Kumaro comes back and yeah. gets healthy after probably after this bye week with his high ankle. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'll probably go back to like it was in the first couple of weeks of the season before the injuries hit the hit the room. All right, our next question uh, is from Daryl. He says, who steps up to be the number three receiver with a, with more of a full-time role after week six, Isaiah McKenzie or Khalil Shakir? Yeah, we asked Greg Cosell that just this last segment. Mm-hmm. His thought is this. Both of them will be active, you obviously. Good answer. Um, but I think when they anticipate zone coverage, I think he believes Shakir is the better option versus a team that's going to play zone. If it's man, the speed of McKenzie is the difference maker, and he says that's where you put him on the field. So whether the Bills coaching staff sees it the same way or not remains to be seen, but I, I think it's a good call by him. Certainly Khalil Shakir has proven his his medal in the first six weeks of the season. They're, they're starting to trust him more and more, and McKenzie, despite you know what happened in Kansas City, we've you know, acknowledged he didn't have his best game. You can't think that that's going to be the norm now. So I, I, I think having both of them active every week, which they're going to be. It's a good thing. Because one of them's going to be returning kicks mm-hmm. if the other one's playing receiver and vice versa. So they'll be able to mix and match where they play both those guys. It may be a 50-50 proposition, and you may see one guy have the bulk of the snaps one game while the other one has it the next game. Um, I think that's the way it's going to stay. I do like that they've gotten Khalil involved already. I like that, you know, we're through six weeks and they already kind of know what they're going to get from a receiver like him when it comes to playing snaps in a game rather than than moving into week eight, week nine, week ten and being like, okay, let's use this rookie here. We're not sure, you know, exactly what he's going to look like on the field in a real NFL game, Um, but I've liked what they've gotten from him so far. And the more pieces that you can use um, to help throw off opponents, I think the better. So glad that they've gotten what they have from him. I think he's going to be a really good NFL wide receiver. A lot of the players have have spoken about his smarts and how he's been able to kind of digest this offense um, from the the training camp days, the OTA days. Uh, And I think you were able to see that when he's been on the field the last couple of games. Um, From Scott, he says, why don't the Bills use the RB screen screen game more? We've seen it used a couple times. More this year than the yes. last three years. Um, good question. I think one of the things um, – I don't know. I, I think one of the th- reasons might be that they're really good at the short passing game and the quick game where Josh drops back and just bangs it on to mm-hmm. Shakir or bangs it on to Diggs on this quick slants on the, on the quick release routes, which are like screen passes. Now, certainly a screen pass has more of a penchant for being one of those plays where you catch a team – rushing the passer and then you know getting caught with a running back right behind the pass rush and there's a big gap between I think one of the reasons that the Bills don't use the screen game a little more is because of the guy playing quarterback (laughs) teams he's hard to sack so teams have their antenna up for him running off out of there when they rush him and I think that gives them a it kind of it kind of takes the screen game away, game away yeah, they have other because they have they they're thinking about Josh doing something outside the pocket mm-hmm. anyway right back there. So I think that muddles the picture for for the screen game because of the guy that Josh is, the running ability that Josh has. If if he drops back and he doesn't flush out of the pocket, 
they, you know, <laughs> they know something's up, right? So, and, and I think the way they rush Josh because of his athleticism is a little, it's a little bit like Lamar Jackson. I don't know that the Baltimore Ravens run a lot of screens either. Uh, the Chiefs do it once in a while. Um, but there's, I think Josh is as big a reason and his abilities and what they do to a defensive mindset are as big a reason the Bills don't run screens mm-hmm. as the fact that maybe they don't have guys that are capable of running. I think they do. I just think it's it plays into the defense's mindset a little more with our team than it does other teams. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think those short passes, and I know it's something that Sean McDermott was asked about, and, and Ken Dorsey is, you know, when you don't have a run game going, when you're not using screens and those things, like are those short passes as good as a run, basically? Are those right. four- and five-yard, six-yard short passes the same as basically getting a couple rushing yards? And I think in, in some ways it is, and in some ways it, it isn't. I think that's what Sean and, and Ken pointed to is like, yes, it's good, when the defense is giving you the ability to do that, but you're not always going to have the ability to lean on that. Uh, so they need to be able to go to other things when when they have to because of what a defense is presenting. All right, break time for us. When we come back, we are going to finish out the show here, close things up, maybe do a, another question or two on the tweet sheet, uh, but don't go anywhere. Got a couple minutes left here of One Bills Live. We're presented by Clyda Health on Buffalo Bills Radio. Closing things up here on a Wednesday afternoon. Thanks for sending in those questions for us to answer. One that we got a couple of, I think. Uh, definitely one was about Tredavious White's return. Um, and I thought as we close out here, it would be a, a good point to kind of update everybody. So uh, he has that 21-day window where he can be activated to the active roster, return to the active roster. And that would have to be before the Jets game. So he does not... Yeah. He couple of days before. does not have to play for the Packers What's game your gut if the coaching staff you, doesn't Maddie? want him to go. Brownie and I had this conversation on the air, and, and he, I thought it would probably be, bef- knowing how they do make decisions, I think they would put it out as far as they can. So I think it's the Jet game That's what I where they'll make a decision a couple of days before. And even then, maybe not start him and play him 57 yeah. or 70 yeah. snaps. Yeah, he just has to return to the right. active roster. Brownie he just, doesn't have to play Brownie was Jets of the game. thought that they would bring him back for the – Green Bay game and just play him a couple of snaps and stuff. I'm not sure that I want to have a guy on the roster, even if it's Trey White, who will only play four, five, ten snaps at corner, given you know how thin they've been at that yeah. spot for so long. You don't want to go in there thin, knowing that Trey can't go very much. And and if the worst comes to worst, he may be forced to play the whole game. And then what are you going to do? Yeah, I don't know. I think after he hasn't played for so long since the Thanksgiving game of last year, maybe you just wait and see until that Jets game. Just give him as much time as he really needs. Yeah, I agree. All right, I that's going to do it for us. No shows Thursday or Friday. We are off. It's the bye week. Enjoy the rest of your week and weekend. See you next week.